Hey, welcome back to the Big Esports Podcast. In this episode, I've got another Chris. I've got Christopher Hanna, who's the CEO and founder of the Esports Observer and holds many other hats. The Esports Observer is a B2B news source for esports and one of my major sources, among a few others, for a lot of the information that I share across my content platform, which is LinkedIn. Chris has had a successful exit in esports, which is quite uncommon, uh, so we talk about that a bit, but we have a really great and casual laid-back conversation about many of our thoughts, and you know, a lot of the opinions expressed in this from both sides aren't fully formed thoughts, and we do talk about this when they're not fully formed, and we're just kind of, you know, freelancing or spitballing some of these ideas, but it looks like Chris and I have been having a lot of these similar thoughts in the past, we might do a lot more of these episodes. We also talk a little bit about personal development, about ego, how to check it, and some fantastic book recommendations from people like Jocko Willink and Seth, who are uh, ex-Navy SEAL, who talks about ego, and also someone who talks about marketing. So enjoy this episode. It was one of my favorite thus far. It's nice and relaxed. Uh, so if you like that, you'll like this episode. Enjoy. For those of you who have also lost your employment or are looking to skill up, we're trying to help here at Big Esports. We have an esports fundamentals course, which is helping people to understand an entry point into the employment within the esports and gaming market, whether you're coming straight out of college, university, high school, or whether you're trying to transition from another sport. To provide support for all of you, we're offering a pay-as-you-feel model. So you can head to bigesports.gg forward slash education. If you've lost your main line of employment and you can't afford to pay right now, now at all that's perfectly fine we're able to offer it up to you for free you can pay now you can pay later you can choose whatever you want the course is usually 127 dollars aud you can take it now for whatever you feel is appropriate or whatever you're able to afford hopefully this will help a few of you get back on your feet in the short term and also the long term we're live chris from chris to chris how are you i'm good how are you doing <laughs> yeah pretty good man pretty good we um it's, it's funny actually from chris to chris i i i did have a I did have a man bun and some long hair once upon a time you as did. well. So we would have been, I've got, we've both got this going, we've got the same name. So we could have pretty much been the same person, just German, new to Australia. But you're in Melbourne, right? I am. Yeah. I'm in yeah. So we, so we could change locations as well. Like I love Melbourne yeah. and I'd love to be there for some time. So, you know, you can come to Berlin. Nobody would notice. <laughs> exactly. It'd be that whole, you know, have you ever seen them in the same room? No, they're obviously the, they're obviously the same person. <laughs> But, so I've been, you know, I've been following like a lot of your content for a long time now, like across the Esports Observer. But for anyone who's watching live right now on LinkedIn, as some people start to roll in or listening to the audio-only podcast later, can you just give a bit of a background, you know, elevated picture of yourself and also what you're doing today and what kind of companies you're working with? Yeah, that's a long, that's a long elevator ride. Um, <laughs> no, so I'm I'm founder and CEO of the Esports Observer. Uh, what we do is obviously esports B2B. So we cover... The business of esports and we mainly look at data-driven topics so if we look at you know investments acquisition sponsorships partnerships and we started to track these things down in databases so we've been able to kind of you know deliver insights analyze trends we started an events business so we run conferences um company exists for a couple of years now the big thing that changed is we got acquired in the end of 2018 mm-hmm. so we're now working within a group of companies where there's also sports business journal there's leaders in sports so we're now working with sports properties and you know we're really building a bridge between sports and esports we're building b2b intelligence solutions so it's a lot of you know educating the space and that's what i really care about um Mm -hmm. that is kind of what i'm doing right now more or less so i took on a role as well for digital strategy and esports within the group um but then you know i have a corporate background used to work for vodafone for almost 10 years, uh, then quit my job, you know, went to business school, took an MBA and did not take the consulting route, 
but then went for something I really cared about, which is esports and gaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, worked at Fnatic in London for like okay. almost a year. Uh, okay. You know, co-founded an agency with friends. Um, that did not really work out for me in terms of, you know, how I kind of work and, you know, they're super creative. I wasn't really, um, I was always super data driven. So I started building data products and that's how it all kind of came together um, with the Esports Observer. And the, the super quick pitch is, it's almost like Bloomberg for esports. So it's data driven journalism. Mm-hmm. And we try to educate the space and help people make informed decisions in a mm-hmm. nutshell. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I didn't know you spent any time at, at, at Fnatic. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I did. Yeah, been a long, been a long time fan of them since since a kid. I guess got to spend some time with Patrick in Taiwan a few times, which is fantastic, yeah. and spend some time with Harley in in Taiwan and Australia as well. I think my first trip, my, my first my first Fnatic business trip was with Patrick to Taiwan. Um, no, oh, really? Fun. Yeah, the Computex. Um, no, Works there was the um, MSI. yeah for MSI. Yeah, okay. Yeah, interesting. That was fun. Yeah, super nice guys. Yeah, learn to love Swedish people from that. That's that's my only my only you know, group of Swedish people I know are from Fnatic. But hey, that's that's good enough for me. <laughs> Not good people. It was a bunch of yeah, fun. and I and I see some yes, yeah, some interesting stuff from you there for sure. And a, and a couple of questions based off that. So you know why why an agency? Was it because you just think hey, I want to work in the esports space? You know, I I have knowledge that's more than just in a team. Like like I feel like I can help others get into the space. Or like why why an agency? So I think the, so and here, okay, this is a, this is the other part of the story. So the person that hired me is uh, Saad Sawa. He basically was working for, as their sales director. And when I went through all the interviews, you know, we kind of talked about what the future could be, you know, where mm-hmm. could, where could esports going overall? And we're talking like five years back or so. So yeah. we're looking at, okay, there's, there's this big team, super successful, like what's next for the teams. And, you know, the, the rough idea was like, why don't teams help other teams? Like if you're successful and you kind of know how stuff is working well, why don't you help other teams, you know, accelerate their business? Why don't you help brands get into the space better? It's basically, you know, what, what you do with your agency, right? Like, but in a team, you're in a central place, you understand the ecosystem, you work with brands, you work with publishers, you're, you're kind of in a central position. Why not leverage that knowledge and help others? That was kind of the initial idea, I guess, for the soul. Hey, can we build an agency? Um, and that's kind of, so it happened outside of Fnatic later, um, agency still exists, level 99. Um, they're doing amazing work. So if you check it out, like they're doing really crazy creative work, um, mm. super cool guys. Um, and then, you know, I, I just really hope they're successful and they can stay successful as they are right now. Um, but mm. I think the, the idea really came from what's the next step? Like, what else can you do as a team to help elevate, you know, the ecosystem? Yeah, it's interesting, and I definitely see some. I'm glad we had the opportunity to have this chat because I see some likenesses between us for sure. And I think part of that is, yeah, not being a creative person. And it's, it's always the hard thing for me, you know. Functioning, I always said that you know we didn't want big esports to be an agency, but by design, we kind of are, especially with our public work that that we're doing at the moment. But yeah, I'm definitely not the creative one in the bunch. But thankfully, I've been able to hire people who are <laughs> who can do those kind of things. And it's always hard because I'm, you know, often I guess I'm the I don't know about the right way to explain it because I don't want to blow too much smoke up my own ass too, but I'm kind of the person who's studying the numbers like you were saying and thinking about what's happening in the future and how can we make money off that as a company. But yeah, sometimes it's hard when, you know, someone wants a creative pitch and I go, I don't know. I just know the trends. I just want to make them happen. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, creativity is, is manifold, right? There's many ways to be creative. I can be really creative with numbers. I can be creative in terms of I've seen stuff mm-hmm. left and right. And how can I connect the dots? Like that is something I can do. But mm. I, I rarely have these super crazy out of nowhere ideas, you know, and that turns into something, I don't know, 
massive. So I'm not, yeah. I'm not that kind of creative person, but it's, um, yeah, yeah. it's fun. Yeah. Not the, not the Steve Jobs visionary type, I guess. It's yeah. Like so I mean, I guess you just did people to compliment your own skills, right? So, you know, find people who can do this and then it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I think so too. And that's, that's always the crazy part for me. I try to talk to some of my employees about, and some of my mentors is like, man, I love, I love closing the deal. I love figuring out what the deal is going to be, but a lot of the time I hate delivering the deal. <laughs> That's, but unfortunately, when you run a startup, I mean, you do that. And also, I, I hate doing the yep. finance stuff. But hey, I'm the CFO as well at the same time. Like it's just part of the part of the puzzle. You, you got to know your numbers, man. You got to you got to know what's going on. Yeah, yeah, really true. So the talk, talk me through like some of the acquisition process because there's, you know, I mean, could could I be right in saying that there's probably been like. 20 acquisitions in all of esports history of a business that's more than say you know five thousand dollars for a tier three esports team like an acquisition and you know whether that number's right or not i think the point i'm trying to make is there's barely any acquisitions ever in esports at the moment unless it's a team that's say optic which is like a distressed asset or something like that no i mean there's a couple of there's a couple of them um also in peripherals i mean depending on what you what you consider esports and you know where yeah, we sure. draw the line between gaming i mean there's been there's been some there's been some um some proper acquisitions too like to me, that was really different because we're, you know, we built this as a startup, um, you know, everything kind of, you know, how, you know how agile you are, right? When you got to react to a fast paced market like esports, mm. and then all of a sudden you're, you're dipping your toes into the corporate world again. Um, and then you get like the, all the requirements that kind of corporate wants from you, right? And then all of a sudden you, you get, you get into this wheel of, okay, cool. We got to do this. We got to do that. It's a, mm. it was really different. So I think. So the story is we got investment a year before, um, mm -hmm. same company, and then got acquired a year later. And the the big due diligence was prior to the investment. And mm -hmm. I think like I think that blocked me for probably two or three months completely. So you know mm -hmm. I had a team that was taking care of things, but I was really like I was really working on this, on all the numbers, compiling all the data sets. And you have that stuff left and right, but then you got to put it in the right form. You know, it's all these talks. Mm -hmm. That was a time, you know. Before we went live, you know, we talked about like lifestyle and getting healthy again and losing all the kilos. And you know, that was the time when I put the kilos on. So it, it was really, it was a lot of, yeah. what a lot of stress in a positive way too, but it's just, um, it was fun. You know, it's, uh, yeah. I, I looking back now, I say it was a really good experience. Like at the time, it's hard when you got to act fast and you got to work on your company, but then also you're completely blocked in the process. Right. Mm. So mm. Yeah, that's good. really true. Yeah, no, and a really interesting, um, like numbers bit of information that that someone gave me today, who's well versed in traditional businesses. We're just talking about publicly listed esports companies. You know, the, in in Australia, they have to release their financial year reports by the thirty first of July. Um, so I'm extremely interested to see what comes out from those guys and anyone overseas. And you know what what he was saying is it costs about a million dollars a year in in AUD to be a publicly listed business. And it really is because you need all of these, you know, when the ASX says, you know, prove to us why your stock just went up by 40%, you have to spend a lot of time going through that. You need to prove that you haven't done something illegal. You need to use your external and internal parties to justify that stock price and to, you know, write your releases and to check through the board reports and that kind of stuff. It takes a lot of time and none of it's cheap. Every single process, everybody seems to be on $300 an hour. So it takes a lot of time. Yeah, and that's why I feel like if you look at the esports industry right now, and I'm not saying it's I'm not saying it's not mature, but it's in a lot of startups, it's a lot of people, you know, just getting in, doing things, like doing things quickly. And mm -hmm. you know, if you if you grow that, like if that matures to a certain point, you know, you have a you have a time where there's a different skill set that you need and where you just have different requirements, right? I mean, if a company grows, like your your job as a CEO changes. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you need you need different skills to complement what you can't do anymore. 
um, yeah. because of time constraints as well. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a very different thing. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And it's like a, and I really wish I knew where I heard this from, but it's a good um, saying that I say all the time, which is like, you know, this the founder doesn't always make the best CEO. You know, and yep. I think I think that's extremely important. Like, a, you know, direct example I think is a good friend and a mentor of mine, Carl Flores from Unicorn, who's the co-founder and the chief product officer. It makes much more sense, I think, for Rahul to be the CEO. Carl doesn't like doing public talks. You know, Carl doesn't like being the face of the company. And every time I talk to him, he's so passionate about the technology and the product. So it makes perfect sense for for Rahul to be the CEO and for him to be the CPO. But also, like you were saying, as the as the company scales, you know, it would maybe make sense to get a you know, in, in affectionate term, a grey head suit to come in to be the CEO because ultimately it's up to them to run a smooth and profitable business. It's not up to them to know who the next best Counter-Strike is team, team is that you should pick up for Fnatic. It's just up to them to make sure you're reporting to the board properly and, and the numbers are flowing. So did you expect your job to be what it is now? No, no, of course not. And I've <laughs> talked about this to someone recently, which is like, you think you think it's different. You're like, man, I'm going into esports. And, you know, I was an idiot. Like I launched my company and, you know, um, and said that, you know, I'm going to be an esports consultant. And, you know, I, I did some, you know, thankfully, you know, I did some deals and made, you know, a few thousand dollars here and there, you know, five grand for one project and five for another, which I didn't make again for two years after that. So I kind of, you know, lulled myself into that sense of, okay, esports is growing. It's massive. It's the thing that everyone has to get into. I'm going to be an esports consultant. But then you're trying to convince companies who've never heard of you before. So they don't know who you are. They also don't know what your industry is. And also they're not interested in talking to you. So most of the time you're reaching out to people on LinkedIn saying, hey, I'd love to teach you about, you know, the world of esports. And they go, yeah, sure. And you go, okay, can you pay me? And they go, what the hell? <laughs> you know, it's not it's not something that needs to happen. And yet we're doing that now, but it's taken us two years to get to that point yeah. of making lots of LinkedIn content and using it as a revenue driver or, or a lead generator for people to come to us and focusing more on gaming and, and the wider audience and how that relates to esports with content and influences and such. But, you know, I feel like I went through that same learning path that so many others did. And if nothing else, I feel like I should be qualified for some sort of finance degree after after everything. And I only have a very basic structure compared to some of my other friends who have extremely complex structures. I haven't acquired multiple companies. You know, I haven't acquired multiple investors or rounds of investment. I don't have, you know, 17 plus board members. I don't have board members from different countries even. Yep. I'm physically based in the same office as my co-director and our investor company, primary one. So it's it's much, much easier for us. But then if you get to be like, I don't know, FaZe or Fnatic or 100 Thieves and you've got some investors who are rappers, some investors who are grey-haired, you know, um, finance people, you get all these different people on your board, you know, that's when it, so it's become a bit scary, but it's, you know, exciting, but scary. Yeah. And I think the, the point to this is, you know, if you look at, and you said the, the bad words, esports consultant, right? And I feel it's not like, it's not per se, you know, here's, here's my problem with the term because you're not per se an esports consultant, you're still a business consultant, but in the field of mm. esports. And, you know, if you look at what esports is, and I'm not going to open this box now. Um, I mean, we can discuss, but, you know, it's somewhere at the intersection of sports and gaming and entertainment. And, you know, you're somewhere in the triangle, depending on, you know, what your focus is. So yeah, sure. it's it's the same skills you need. You know, it's not when you see all these esports degrees popping up, you see all these things now. And yes, it's good that people learn the ins and outs of the industry. But what you need is like you need proper business skills. So I had a person yeah. reach out to me and ask me if I knew an esports accountant. And I felt like, you know, what is an esports accountant? It's It's an accountant who kind of understands how to deal with price money and different things. But it yeah. is still an accountant. Uh, it's not yeah. that it's not that all of a sudden accounting has been reinvented because of esports, right? So yeah. you, you see this, you see this when people hire and 
that's a shift that we see right now. If you look at the franchise leagues, there's no esports team that could afford buying a franchise or partnership slot without raising outside capital, right? And what, what mm-hmm. that does is it brings in outside experience as well. And we can discuss whether that's good or bad. But, you know, I, I once called it forced professionalization because I feel it's like, you know, you have to get these people in in order to mm-hmm. be able to afford it. And you, you, it's VC money. So, it's, you know, it's a bet as well. But then you get people who really kind of understand business, at least to a certain degree. Probably not mm-hmm. your business, but then it's up to you to educate them. And I think that kind of symbiosis where, you know, you know the space really well, they hopefully know business really well. And then you start, you know, you start basically educating each other, learning from each other and build a different business than you would have probably built if you're a player and started your own team. Right. So I think, mm. I think it's all about business. And you see, when you look at what people hire and we speak a lot to hiring firms as well, you know, executive search firms. So you can see where the trends are. It's clearly towards properly educated business people to complement organizations that don't have that knowledge. And, you know, I mm. think, I think that's good. Are we walking in the right direction? Like, I don't know, man, like, you know, there's pros and cons with franchising, open ecosystem. I get all of it, but I think it's, it's not too bad for the industry. If we're always calling for, money from non-endemics, it's kind of good to also speak the language and understand what they want, mm. right? You know, some, sometimes when I talk to people like you, I feel like I need to go down the Gimlet Media route, which is I need to do eight podcasts in a row where every podcast is a specific topic because you've, you just said like six topics I have so many thoughts on that I'd love to <laughs> share with you. I'd love to get your opinions on them around franchising, VCs, esports consultancy, yeah, I know. esports versus gaming. Like there's so many of these that I've put really significant amounts of brain power into thinking about. <laughs> that's yeah but yeah that's what you got to do because you'll you'll link, like and i would assume that you encounter these kind of topics all the time specifically yeah. as an agency when you work with external clients you yeah. know it's it's interesting to see esports through the angle of completely outside people in a way right so what i always ask people is like tell me how you look at esports like what is esports to you and i i rarely write but i wrote this one piece on the race to one billion dollars for the franchises and what i did is i spoke to investors and just asked them like why are you putting up like, you know, double digit millions to, you know, buy an esports team or to work with an esports team? And it's interesting, you know, if you look at the answers, um, because in a nutshell, it's a lot of this is about replicating the sports experience and making it so that, you know, if you don't like esports, but we go to a game, you'll enjoy the experience so much that you probably want to come back because it's entertaining, right? That's where the mm-hmm. entertainment portion comes in. And then you can see all these different teams doing things that are, not necessarily focus on the esports team performance, you know, but it's apparel, it's music, you know, it's it's everything that is to me pop culture and like a, more of a cultural movement, and that's how I look at esports, right? So, that, you know, if you look at the questions that people ask, you always realize, okay, good, I gotta I gotta step back, you know, I gotta zoom out like a bit more and help you understand the bigger context, and then you can dive into these topics. But I'm I'm pretty sure that you you had these questions around the topics. You know, I mentioned, you just mentioned, I think it's, it's going to be an FAQ. Like, you know, you can just, you can just put it up somewhere, hit record, you know, and then press play. Yeah. Yeah. Really true. And I, as you were saying that I went and opened that article because I want to read the responses for sure. <laughs> and I, and I feel like there, there has been a major shift in, in people understanding, you know, from the outside into the inside, obviously like a, a direct example I give with same with my partners in 2018, everyone wanted to buy an esports team. And I feel like a lot of that is because esports teams were the most vocal out of everyone and they were the most in number. Whereas anytime you talk to a brand, you know, like we talk to a large alcohol brand here in Australia and they're like, yeah, we've heard from seven different esports teams in the past week. Are you another team? Please don't be another team. <laughs> and yeah. the same with, you know, our partners and investors, 
you know, they, um, the same thing, you know, we did a half day education seminar with them on the ecosystem of esports and what it is and where everything's fit and what's a team and how much are things worth and why and salaries, you know, deep dive into that. And the same, you know, they wanted to buy an esports team, but that's because that's all they knew really. And it turned out that that was well, well far away from what they actually want, should have done for sure. And, you know, thankfully I got the same compliment that you got, which is they said, hey, we'd rather work with you. And that's obviously great for you that you got that investment, which was followed up by an acquisition because there's no better compliment, I think, than those people you're working with who said, hey, we want to work with part of you and then we want to work with all of you um, as part of that too. So, but yeah, there's so many of those topics. And I think one of the major ones that I've been thinking about a lot, I guess there's two. Number one is, you know, gaming versus esports and looking at teams for example, that aren't even esports teams like FaZe and 100 Thieves who are all, you know, and, and I said that to mm-hmm. Clinton and FaZe in a podcast. I was like, you guys basically aren't an esports team. And he was like, yeah, you're right. Um, and similar to FaZe, you know, similar to 100 Thieves. If you go to FaZe's YouTube, how much of that is about esports? There's all Lambos, there's nice houses, there's apparel, you know, there's merchandise drops, there's here's the cool game I'm playing, here's the rapper I'm hanging out with. Yeah. It's not about you know, here's our, our phase CSGO team performance. Like, yes, they've got that, but you, you'll notice that they even made a separate Twitter basically for that called phase update to, to not, you know, misconstrue those those two things together. And, you know, that's one of the topics. Another one really that I want to talk to you about um, that, that I've talked about, just started to breach it in some podcasts. And for anyone listening, it's still like a, an emerging thought for me and I'm thinking about it as I go. So I don't I don't have a stance either way. But talking about like how, how do you as an esports team or event own your fan? And how do you have more than just focusing on the loss leader that is esports? Because a lot of the time, esports is a loss leader. I personally played Dota 2 because of the international. Dota 2 was too hard. I started playing League of Legends. I watched TI3, I believe it was, and now I've got 6,000 hours in that stupid game. But as a fan, I don't consume Dota 2 esports. I just play with my friends, except for the international every year. But I spend money on skins. I spend money on the yeah. casual. So if you're an esports team or a tournament, if you're not being recuperated directly from Valve and you run a CSGO comp, are you sort of paying an acquisition fee for that fan to become a Counter-Strike fan that will then leave your organization and go and watch other people and your competitors too? And how do you actually own that fan? Um, how do you own them throughout that whole experience and not let Blast Premier take your fans of your ESL or Face It or, you know, other organizations like that. And similar with teams, you know, how do you own those fans? And, you know, maybe the answer for teams is by creating content and having hardcore audiences like a Phase does, like 100 Thieves does, who go to all their meetups, purchase all their merchandise and things like that too. Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of stuff I'd love to have more data on. And you can probably get that through surveys, you know, let's see how reliable that is. But uh, who actually owns it? Who actually owns a fan? Right. If you look at, so if, and I had this discussion always about, oh yeah, but if a star player leaves, you know, is like, will the, will the fans, you know, leave the team and then follow the new team of the star player? And, you know, then you have, I mean, it's a difference if Mm. you have a single player game, like let's, let's talk about Starcraft or whether you talk about Counter-Strike, right? That might differ because in one, you follow a person more or less and the other one, you follow like a team. Um, Mm. Who owns the fans right now? You know, I think that what needs to what needs to happen is, and what will happen, we'll see direct to consumer monetization way more from publishers. That's what mm. I feel. And if you're, if you know, if you're ESL or you're Blast Pro, like, do you own do you own the fans? Come, do the fans come because they follow the team that plays? You know, do they want to have a good time? Do they want to follow a team? Are they following a game? Right. So, mm. do the publishers own the fans? Like, who actually owns the fans? Mm. Yeah. And I think it's. I think you can. I mean. You know, when you talk about teams and content, to me, and I, I, I mean, I'm in Berlin, so the first thing that comes to mind is G2 Esports, 
because of their engaging content. I think they're doing an, an amazing job in the way they communicate. And it's, it's really like, let's say Carlos, you know, the way he is, um, yeah, yeah. but that, but that's cool because they have an edge. So, and this is something I said a couple of times before, and there's a lot of people that disagree, but tell, take the LEC or LCS, like take any, take any league. You know, there's, there's so many teams, but then there's only one first place. There's one second place. There's one third place. So what happens to, what happens to all the other teams? You know, can you, can you still win in terms of, you know, getting deals done and, you know, become the kind of outlier? Yeah, you can, but that happens through your brand and through content. And if you now open up like a, a leaderboard in a league and you look at, okay, what are the, you know, take 10 teams, the top 10 and tell me what they stand for. And, you know, the challenge is if you're, if you're talking to brands, like typically I'm a brand, you're a team, I want to work with you. Then there's attributes to your brand that I want to transfer to my brand, right? I want to be like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, we want to be perceived funny. We work with this funny team, for example, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm just making this up stupidly. But then if you look at a lot of the esports teams, I feel they're like branding. You know, there is mm-hmm. not, there's a lot of, yes, they win and that's fine. Or they don't win. And that's, that's kind of fine too. But then there is not so much left in terms of brand. Like if, you know, if, and you can do this for yourself and everyone who kind of hears this can do this for themselves too. Like think about esports teams and look at the first three attributes that come to mind. And if you mm-hmm. look at, if you look at G2 esports, you know, Carlos said it multiple times, it's, you know, more leaning towards a Disney, I don't know, than to a sports team. So it's content driven, you know, it's storytelling driven. And I think mm-hmm. that is something that people remember. And that is something that makes your brand stand out. And then of course, mm-hmm. there's like all these super legacy brands, like you have the like Fanatic. Right, there is um, NIP, um, and you know we can discuss whether they're all doing a good job right now or not. But you kind of you've heard the names, you kind of know who they are, and then there's so many, but also specifically in franchises. So they spend a lot of money, and they don't have any any edge. That's how I feel at least. You know, I look at all the names and I feel like, whatever, you know, they that doesn't mean anything to me. So I think mm-hmm. if you want to own fans, you got to you. You got to be something, right? You got to be someone. You got to be something. Like, what are you giving your fans so that they will follow you? So, how do you how do you sell your merchandise to them? You know, like, do you wear merchandise of something that you're not interested in? Probably not. You know, you want to identify. You want to be like, hey, I'm part of. I don't know. I'm part of the G2 army. So here's my G2 jersey. But then I I need to have something that I can identify with. I like. I hope that makes sense to you now. But that's and that's really rough. This is something we can go really deep into um, mm-hmm. at a different time, maybe. But I feel a lot, a lot comes with branding. And I think that a lot of, a lot of esports teams um, could do better with branding. No, hundred percent. And, and you said um, very similar in different words to what um, Nikolai said as well in, in a previous podcast as well. I think his was, you know, ask yourself, what's the difference between a, a Fnatic, a Cloud9, a G2, et cetera. And can you see a massive difference? And if not, that's potentially a concern. Um, you know, there's, there's, one, the, there's one more step and I stole this. I didn't say this. Um, so Nico Gede said this, um, he used to work at like a day before, which is now sport five again. Um, mm-hmm. he has a consultancy now. And what he said is you can even take this to the max and you can look at games. What's the difference of sponsoring a, I don't know, Dota event, whether it's a league of legends event. And, you know, I get the demographics and I get the audience portion, but if you look at attributes, you're going to put on your brand, like. And I know in Germany, you know, Counter-Strike's a big discussion. Um, you know, it's, uh, should we have it on television or not? Can we, is it brand safe or not? But mm-hmm. what is it that you're associating your brand with in terms of, let's say, values? And how differentiated are the games, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. I, think, I think a lot comes down in the end to branding. And I, you know, I think the super successful teams, like let's go back to the team business with that. I think uh, successful teams, you know, have, have an edge whatsoever. And it doesn't matter. Look at, 
So I'm not sure if you're following the Bundesliga, but you look at Bayern Munich, you know, half of Germany hates them, half of Germany loves them, but mm. everyone talks about them. It, it, so it doesn't matter if people love or hate you, you know, as long as, it, as long as you kind of find the sweet spot where people talk about you and, you know, not 90% of the world hate you because that probably wouldn't work. <laughs> yeah. but. That's true. Yeah. It's Con- Conor McGregor-esque, I guess, if you're in MMA, right? Either love him or hate him, but either way, yeah. he's the biggest superstar to ever come to that sport that, that made it mainstream. You know, he, yeah. he is mainstream compared to maybe GSP, but you have to be a bit of a fan to understand who that is. And definitely some, yeah, definitely some good points there. And I had so many, I had so many follow-ups flow through my head that they all just cancel each other out because there's, yeah, so many, so many thoughts. One, one thing I wanted to highlight once again is something that Clinton Sparks from, from Faye said, um, and we, we pre-recorded a talk together for this thing called the Influencer Marketing Conference and Expo, and it's, and it's fully online. So him and I did a talk. It's free if, if people want to go and purchase the tickets online. I believe it's, it's starting tomorrow um, or the 16th, 17th or so. And one thing that he said that I never thought about before is he said, you've got two different types of people and brands. One are popular and one is influential. And I think that what you're touching on with, say, potentially with these franchise teams, they are popular, but they're not influential. So they might have an esports team with 150,000 Twitter followers, but what is their engagement rate and what can they actually pull through? And can they be a phase who could do a meetup during the Fortnite World Cup and have 16 city blocks of kids come? to come yep. and see them. Can they sell $2 million worth of champion merchandise in a day like phase? Can they be like a hundred thieves and have a spray jacket for $400 on stock X three days after it's instantly sold out? Can they have people like razor fans who will get tattoos on their arm and their wrist and their leg of razor? Um, you know, can they be like hardcore Manchester fans? Can they be like MMA fans who get tattoos of Conor McGregor's face on their chest and things like that too? You know, yeah. are you that influential or are you just popular? Are you, say, Kim Kardashian, who's popular because when you download Instagram, she's one of five people that tells you to follow. Everyone knows who she is, but does she have fans? Does she have people who opens her Instagram every day to be like, I want to know what Kim K is doing? And is it a similar percentage to her total followers of that? And like one little bit of research I did around this, and I lost the Excel document, which I'm very annoyed about. I have to try to find it, was I was just looking at Instagram engagement rates per esports team and looking at different ones. And I'd love to hear about your opinion on this. So I did a podcast with AEG, who they they own part of an MLS team in the US, a bunch of stadiums, and they also mm. own MIBR. They also own a few franchise organizations. And from my research, I found that if an esports team was a single game team, so at that time, OG was a single game, uh, you've got like uh, the Brazilian Free Fire team that, that won the world championship with over a million Instagram followers. Um, you had some of these other individual organization teams. Their engagement rate was significantly high, like two to three X if you're a fanatic or a G2 or a Cloud9. Because, you know, does it water it down too much if you've got all of these organizations? Because if you're a tennis fan and then that tennis um, team starts posting about Formula One, you go, well, I don't, yep. I don't care about Formula One. I'm not going to engage on that. I'm, it's going to fall out of my algorithm. And I'd be interested to hear your, your thoughts about that single team organizations versus multiple team. They never really think about it in terms of engagement. And what you just said, like, when you say it makes sense to me, so I'd, mm. probably, I'd probably go with that. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna repeat what you say. Just kind of stick just kind of stick to what you say. No, I, but I'm I'm serious. I think I think that makes sense. Yeah. And that's a so it's the same question that a lot of sports teams have when they so look at Bundesliga teams now engaging in esports. Do you build your own esports channels or do you use your Bundesliga football club kind of channels? And mm. so there was a TV station here when they started. 
they completely put esports. So they integrated esports into their sports coverage, which I think okay. was amazing. Right? I, I think it was great because you read about soccer, you read about whatever, and then all of a sudden there's esports, and they treated it as if it was like the regular sport that they report on. Um, that didn't work out for them, obviously, because like months later they put out esports channels, mm -hmm. right? And you can tell like if you're if you're a, a sports club, you're kind of known for something different because you're kind of known for the sports for your sport team. And, you know, there's then all these discussions always about, oh, yeah, you should spend the money on a better player. You know, uh, don't invest in esports. We don't want this. There were certain protests, you know, in, in specific mm -hmm. teams. Um, but then, you know, you also hear all the good stories where people feel like, no, there's synergies. You know, people identify with it. We've been able to internationalize with it much easier. You know, we, we get new fans. Um, and I need a, lot of, a lot of teams, from what I understand, use esports as a kind of way into digitalization, Right, mm. because it's like all online, and okay, let's start with this. Let's let's see what happens. So I think, I think if you do too many things, it will water down. But if you if you transform this back to business, you know, it's a question of focus. Like, mm. what are you what are you really focused on? And I mean, you can tell that if you really focus on something. Um, well, I, I mean, that's a bold statement, but you're probably more successful if you follow every opportunity. And I mean, the hardest part for me was saying no to a lot of things, because yeah. you you know you get you yeah. get a lot of things and you feel like that makes all sense. I just can't do it. I don't have time. You know, I, I cannot, I cannot split my time any further. So I can't do it. Mm -hmm. And that hurts. But then, you know, you're laser focused and things typically work out if you really want it, if there's a case to this and you're focused on stuff. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a fan of focus. Is that, does that help to explain then why singular influencers will often have more reach and exposure than a tiny esports organization? Because they have that singular maybe. focus? Maybe. And that maybe explains mm -hmm. why, you know, single teams are, so you gather, you, so you get them, I guess you, I would assume you gather more followers if you have five games, but then if you're mm -hmm. a hardcore Dota, for example, and you have these Dota fan base, then they're more likely to engage with every single post in a way, because it's all about what they care about. And if mm -hmm. I, if I follow you and I mean, I follow your content on LinkedIn too, right? Because like you put out all these summaries and I like that mm -hmm. because it's like, okay, I don't have to read this. You know, there's, here it is five bullets. Nice. And I sometimes do the same thing, yeah. but you know, that is, that is something because it's, it's so focused. If you would now start posting, I don't know, about so many different things, like it would water it down, right? Mm. So it's like, what's your, what's your, it's it, also it's branding. Like, what is your personal brand? Why do I follow you? What is the value you kind of add to my life in a way, mm -hmm. you know, that, that I want to follow your content. And if that, if I then have to search and say, oh, here's five posts, where's the one I'm interested in, right? I, like, I don't think that I would engage as much with your content if you would, you know, spread it in terms of, I'm going to do everything now, you know, then mm. it's, I'd be like, yeah, I probably scroll through this. I see this, but I would not actively engage with it. Mm. Yeah. Very true. And a very small sample size, like you were saying about my content. And I, I tried that. I tried what happens if I post more about myself and my thoughts and mm -hmm. things like that. And the content bombed for a period of time. Cause part of it is I don't, I don't care about my own thoughts that much, <laughs> which is weird, to, which is weird to say, but like exactly what you said proves that what I've been doing is coming across because every time it's like, I find an article I find interesting. I'll share it. I'll put a tagline with five dot points. So the person doesn't even have to open the article. They can get all of it. And then for me, because LinkedIn is a massive lead generator for us, I'll put some extra info they won't even get if they open yep. that article. You know, I'll say, hey, also the team did a raise or also this team has, you know, got this other thing going on. And just to provide that bit of extra tidbit. And then I'll, obviously I'll link the article down there as well. You know, Esports Observer is one of my main sources as well, which is why I wanted to have you on. But 
you know, a lot of that stuff. And I did see, I saw that exact post that you did. And I was gonna, I was gonna send you a message about it. I was like, yeah, I see that because I, I actually stole that from Matthew Gunnan, who doesn't really post much more, yeah. much, much anymore on LinkedIn, I believe. Um, I think he's gone on to some other platforms. I see him a lot on Twitter now. But the same thing. I was like, man, this makes it so easy because I'm all about efficiency. And I don't, I don't want to bore people with, you know, like um, what they call it, like the recipe phenomenon. You know, anytime you look up a recipe on Google, you click yep. on it and the first 17 paragraphs are about what they had for lunch on Wednesday and their thoughts on Donald Trump yep. and all this stuff. And you're like, I just want to know how many eggs I've got to put into that. But, but look, that and that that's the thing. And, you know, tell me if that makes sense to you, but I feel that there's that this has a lot of to do with ego, right? It's like you can just either give information or you can talk about how awesome you are. And yeah. I started doing that stuff because, you know, we have so many articles about certain topics on the eSports Observer and, you know, there's a story coming up. And then you feel like, oh, damn, you know, we had like stories that, you know, started earlier and then I wanted to give context. So I had some of like I had some posts where I aggregated whatever, five, six, seven stories, which I'm not sure if that adds value or not. But I felt like if I would want to read this, here's what I would want to want. Here's what I would want to read and here's the sources I need. But then you have all the stuff like, oh, I'm the best. Look at me. Look at all, look at all my content. Look at all of this. Right. And then you, and then people have this, they want to talk about themselves more than about everything else. And that doesn't add value to me. And that goes back to, I mean, here's why your LinkedIn post triggered me, right? In a positive way. Because you talk about, hey, you know, I want to help people understand how to best reach out to other people, blah, blah, blah. And I I always get this stuff where people contact me and say, here's what I do. Right. And I'm like, what am I going to do with this? You know, mm-hmm. it's like, I understand what you're doing now. And that's nice. Um, if they send a message at all, but then it's like, you know, help me understand how you can help me. Right. Because honestly, my, mm-hmm. my kind of business life is about my business and I'll try to, I mean, obviously, you know, you gotta, you gotta pay bills, you gotta pay your staff. Like there's, there's so many things you have to do. Um, if somebody comes in and tells me, Hey, here's what I do. Here's how I think it can help you. Like I'm intrigued and I'm, I'm always open for conversation. And I have a lot of talks with people just to talk to them, see what they're doing, see where they're at, see if I can help in any way. Like I, mm-hmm. I take time for this, but what I don't do is like, you know, it's always like, oh, I want to work with you. And then, you know, after the first message that turns into buy my product, but then it turns into buy my product and I have no need for that product. And if you would have looked at my business five minutes before you would have contacted me, you would have known this, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's always this, I need to sell and I get it. Like, it's almost like spam. You know, you'd contact 500 people, maybe one is going to buy your product. That might be nice. I'm a fan of, I want to look at your business. I want to see what you do. I want to see if I can help you. And then if I can help you, I can, I can tell you like, look, here's how I think I can help you. Do you want to talk? Right. But then it's about your benefit, not about how great my company is or what I do. And that's mm-hmm. something I tell you this, man, that's something that's really annoying by now because I get so many requests from people, you know, who want to sell me stuff that I have no need for. And you can, mm-hmm. you can easily tell, uh, but it's people, people don't spend time on, looking at how they can help other people. It's more like, okay, I need to make money. How can I, how can I make money quick? You know? And then it's like, I'm going to reach out to everyone and tell them about my product. And they're not even talking about the products. Like, Hey, I want to talk to you about building this event. I'm like, okay. So what do you expect me to do? Like, do you want mm-hmm. PR? Do you want promotion? Do you want me to build it? Like, what is it you want? And you know, then you end up in, in, in this exchange. And then what turns out is they want you to do all the work. <laughs> it's like, wh- why would I do that? I mean, they don't want to pay. Right. So that's the other thing. Yeah. It's like, that doesn't make any sense at all. Like, and I'm so sorry about this, but just can you not waste my time? Thank you. <laughs> you know, yeah, so yeah, I got I got asked to I got asked if I wanted a business mortgage today. Yeah. Well, that was an interesting one. Yeah, I don't know why. 
if you looked at how many employees I had on LinkedIn, I don't, I don't need a facility right now. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. There's nothing wrong with there's nothing wrong with selling stuff to people. There's nothing wrong with having conversations. And there's honestly, there's also nothing wrong with just asking for help, right? If people reach out to me and say, "Hey, can you like I have this problem? Can you do you have time to help me with this?" Like I can't always do it, but it's mm. like if I can, I make introductions. I try to connect people because I really want to elevate. Like you know, rising tide lifts all ships. I really want to make sure that esports grows more sustainably because we're all gonna make money of this and have benefits from that. So let's work mm. together. But then there's so many people who I feel are just, you know, building product after product just to kind of try to build something quick, sell it, you know, do the next thing. So they don't really care. And then mm. it's a lot of like, make it about like, if I want to work with you, if I want to sell you something, I need to make this about you, not about me. And that's something that I feel like a lot of people don't get. And that's super annoying by now. Mm-hmm. You need to like, Boil down for me is you need to make the other person's life extremely easy on the other side of the line. Yeah. And when I was the person doing the pitching a lot of the time on on LinkedIn, it was you know giving them a compliment and making sure that communicating to them that you understand who they are and what they do. So yeah. saying you know hey X person from Razor, I really enjoyed your recent sponsorship announcement of EG. You know you took them back from Steel Series when that happened. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's use that example. And you know I'm running an esports team in Australia and doing something similar. You know I'd love to discuss with you the opportunity and just give some learnings from you. You know why'd you pick them? You yeah. know and then and then give a follow up. You know I would like to have a meeting with you in a week or I'd like to do something like that. But the other thing is is always just. Um, making the other person's life easier and not necessarily asking them to have a call, just sending some questions. And and that's what happens a lot of the time for me. Like right now, you know, thankfully you've picked up some work and we're busy and I'm, I'm too busy to take calls right now. And so usually I will, I'll try to put aside some time like Herb May, for example, you know, he's put aside a certain amount of time to have calls with people to connect with them, which is important, but I simply don't have the time right now. And I would really appreciate if people could just send me some dot points and I'll answer them really quickly yep. in text. You know, if you've got four to five questions, fire them to me. I'll, I'll reply straight away with those. I check my LinkedIn messages every morning. You know, I've got about an hour set aside for LinkedIn and emails as part of my day, every day. So I can take the time to do that. But, you know, it becomes hard when you've got to jump on a call with someone and then ask them how coronavirus is going in their area and then how they're feeling and then what they're doing lately and then ask them for who they are. You know, basically like what we did for a podcast. It makes sense for a podcast, sure, but it doesn't make sense yeah. for, you know, five people per day that want to catch up with you and ask you these questions. And then, you know, what I found with a lot of my coffee meetings, even when I was reaching out to people because I wasn't specific enough, it wasted my time, it wasted their yep. time. And so many times it was, and, and this was also the fault of me being a business person was, you know, um, hey, here's some numbers about esports. And they go, wow, this is really cool. What can we do? And I go, well, you can do anything. I'll help you do anything in esports. And they go, okay, that's nice. And then they go, I'm so confused, I'm out. And I actually had one potential client do that once. You know, they were pretty keen to get into esports. They worked in the student space. Um, I can't remember exactly what they did in the student space, Some something in there anyway. But in the end, they were like, look, Chris, basically I'm too confused. I don't want to work in the space because I gave them a proposal that was like seven different things. Like you should sponsor my podcast and my meetup and also you should work with an esports team and do an event and do some online marketing with influencers. And they're all like, man, I'm so confused. <laughs> I'm done. So you need to have something. And that's back to like what you said with the focus. And that's been the hardest thing for me to learn in business over the past two years or so after going out on my own. Is just like stop saying yes to things and stop trying to do different things and be like, you know, a mechanic. All they want to do is get more cars into their mechanics to service them, to make more money, to grow the business. They're very one-track mind. And that's something I think that so many people these days can learn because you look at an influencer who made a lot of money selling hoodies and you're like, damn, okay, I want to be an influencer or I want to make a merchandise company. So you start posting on Instagram nonstop. 
And then you see an esports team win international and they win 17 million bucks, whatever it is, cash in hand, you know, pre-tax. And you go, damn, all right, I'm going to go start playing Dota 2 or I'm going to go run a tournament. And then you see something else. And then you realize after a period of time that you've kind of done nothing. None of them's been successful yeah. and none of them have worked. But if you're just stuck with one thing, if you're just stuck with that hoodie business and you signed a small creator with 20K on Instagram, you sign another yeah. one with 30 and then you, that you work your way to someone with 20 and then boom, all of a sudden there's an opening with Ninja and you're off. You know, something like that is is you know that focus is extremely important. But that is, so here, see, here's so many so many things that you now said that I have follow ups to. Is it because it's you know I feel the same way that you felt before? It's like it's not and it's not an overnight success, right? People always be like, so either it's like, oh, you've been lucky, or oh my god, you you know, overnight. No, like people work hard, and if you work hard, you know, yes, did I have a lot of luck? Hundred percent. You know, I met a lot of the right people at the right time. I'm really lucky. Like in the whole story of, you know, building Esports Observer and like getting into esports and like my whole journey, I've been really lucky. You know, I had a lot of luck, but I always like to say I worked hard. So, you know, and I feel like if you really work hard, you're more likely to get lucky, right? And and experience luck. Mm. Um, yeah. So, you know, we can argue about what this is. But then if you look at um, what you just said, right? It's it's about, you want to you wanna basically build something. And if you really care about it, if you really found your passion and that is hoodies, stick with it. And there will be openings, you know, there will be stuff. You don't have to go, you don't have to go and like change the world tomorrow. Like it'll take time, you know? And what you can tell is if you're willing enough to put in enough effort over time, then that's probably the right thing for you to do. Right. Mm. So I feel, I feel that something's really important. And the other thing that you mentioned, and that was one of my toughest learnings too, like, you know, no problem saying that. It's like, I often, I haven't been specific enough to, you know, either. It's like, if you're, if you don't know what you want, don't go and reach out to people, right? I can be like, oh, Chris, you know, I want to talk in your show, in your podcast. And it's like, okay, what do you want to talk about? Well, I don't know. Like, let's, I don't know, talk about anything. And that's, that doesn't make sense. And it's like, hey, I want to do something in esports. What do you want to do? I don't know. Tell me. And then, you know, mm -hmm. I, I waste like five hours of your time. Then you give me stuff that I don't even care about because I have not made up my mind. And it can be like, help, help me understand how this works. Here's what I want to learn. Here's two things I want to understand. But if you reach out to people, I always feel it's, it's, it helps so much if you just know what you want, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it, it, sounds, it sounds so obvious, but I don't, I don't think that everyone really gets it. Um, so I had a really hard time. You know, I'm, I'm, when I, so I do a podcast, you know, we do some shows, like there's some content I produce. And I got really mindful of, is, not, is the right time now, you know, to reach out to that person or should I wait? You know, if, do I have my questions locked in? Because if, if you reach out to execs, they don't have time, right? Then it's like, okay, I have time. Like what are your questions? And if you then need a week to prepare your questions before you can send stuff in, you know, opportunity is gone. So mm -hmm. what I make sure is like, I, you know, I have a briefing in place. It's like the email you sent me. Oh, there's a briefing in place. Like, you know, it's, I know what to expect. Then it's kind of, okay, I, I see where this is going. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, you know, it, things just happen because you can just do this. You can say, Hey, do you want to do this? Yeah. Okay, cool. When do we do this? I don't know. Let's do this Wednesday. Here's a good time. Okay, perfect. Bam. Here's the briefing. Everyone knows what they're getting. And it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, you don't drag it out for five hours, uh, five weeks or five months or whatever. So I think that's something that's really important. Um, and that's super hard because that requires you to look at what you actually really want to do. Um, and then, you know, what you want from the person and how it will help the person. Or not, right? And if it doesn't help the person, that's fine too. You can say that. Like, look, here's what I want to do. And, you know, here's what it is. And then, you know, people can still say yes or no. So you can ask. 
but I feel like if, if you're unprepared, also if you're unprepared, like people will notice. Like if, mm-hmm. you know, if we would have done this and I don't know, this was completely unprepared or I would get the feeling that you have no idea what you're doing, you know, it leaves a bad taste with people. And specifically with agencies, if you pitch something, if you talk about ideas, right? If you're not prepared to follow up, I think it's hard to just, you know, go kick indoors and be like, oh, here we are. And then the moment it gets more specific, you're out because, you know, you can't follow up. So I think that's, I think that's like extremely important. Like know what you want and now how, how, what you want can help other people. And these are often the right partners. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's really true. And one thing I always try to do when talking to any of my advisors or mentors is come with a specific topic or a question in mind. And that's yep. something I've tried a lot. I've got some mentors that I'm much closer to than others, but I try to make that very strong distinction between talking about who are you throwing money on at UFC 251 and, hey, you know, can I talk to you about this thought I'm having about esports teams and why they're not cash flow positive? You know, like two yep. two very different things, but be very structured. And I had, you know, I had a, um, a lady who I worked with once and she came to a live podcast I did and we had to catch up the next day to do some mentoring stuff with her and she came with a notepad. That was so impressive to me. And part of it is because she has a history. She was she was medically discharged from the military. So she has that discipline in her where, you know, I did Air Force cadets for six years. It's wherever you go, you take a notepad with you. You pull out your notepad and pen because when they tell you the coordinates that you're going to or they tell you something, mm-hmm. like you have to be there at that time and you have to write down those notes and know them. And it's like extremely important. And I think that's something that helps is just write down a couple of dot points, you know, and that's usually why, you know, when people reach out to me with that general, hey, I want to chat, I usually say my question back to them, pretty much always is a copy paste of from my brain, a copy paste of how exactly would you like to work with us or what exactly would you like to talk about? And yep. then usually what happens is that deflects the meeting enough because they've realized that they haven't thought enough about it, or they can just send me through a question I can answer instantly. It doesn't take a 25 minute, a 45 minute phone call to answer that. Usually it's just, Hey, uh, can you take a quick look through my deck? And you know, the answer is, yeah, sure. Have a skim. I go, yeah, it looks pretty good. Like, you know, I saw a spelling mistake there and, and also this doesn't make any sense to me. But yeah, good yep. luck. You know, something like that is, is all it takes a lot of the time. And you don't you don't have to work with everyone ever. <laughs> like it doesn't have to be a thing. And also I know that patience is really hard. Like I'm not a patient guy. I would hate it when I would like hang up when I'm not busy and I would hang up a meeting with a guy and then be like, damn, I just want them to go and work on that straight away and come back to me and give me some money to do some work with them. <laughs> but unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. You know, the kid might be sick and they might be doing payroll that day and you know they might have some other things that are more important than you the esports consultant on the other side of the phone and one thing that i i did write down while you were talking i wanted to go back to is the ego part of it i think yep. i think ego is a really big interesting topic that i see a lot in esports um, and and a lot just in general like for anyone who's listening who likes audiobooks or books there's there's two by Jocko Willink he's an ex navy seal which i found really fantastic for me in my personal and professional development and um He's an ex-Navy SEAL that talks about um, discipline equals freedom. That's that's one of his books. And the other the other book is primarily about leadership. And a lot of what it comes down to is ego. And what I've noticed most of the time is when people want to share information about themselves, like you said, it's ego-based. And when people want to have arguments, it's all ego-based. And often a lot of the time it's ego versus ego and there's no there's no winners, you know, that kind of example. So what I've been trying really hard to do is always say, my intentions, you know, standing my intentions at all times. And like before where I said, hey, I don't actually have this thought 100% complete. And also you'll notice with my LinkedIn posts and stuff, I never give, not never, but I almost never give my own opinion unless specifically asked about it. If someone in the comments says, hey, Chris, what do you think about this news or what's your prediction for Mixer or what's your prediction for Fortnite or whatever, I'll then give my answer there. But I don't think it's my place a lot of the time. But what I do like about 
some of the news publications is they might give their opinion, say like ESI, but it's very obviously their opinion. It's at the bottom of the article and it says this is a journalist's opinion and then they try to give a little bit of information about that. I think that's great. But I think that, you know, the ego thing is interesting and I'm wondering, um, and this is probably a, a lead-in topic, I'm wondering if that's why, in my opinion, esports doesn't respect influences and the amount of not only revenue but margin they can bring through. Because I think that sometimes thinking back to myself, it was always esports is the next greatest thing. It's growing so much. We're awesome. We don't have to listen to anyone else. And I'm wondering if that bleeds into, you know, what's happening a lot internationally. I had this, I had this fun conversation recently where you look at um, how esports was always looking for sports in order to be validated. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you have like, oh, we, want, we are like sports. We're like sports, you know, and you're waiting for the stamp of approval, which doesn't really... I mean, it gives you yeah. some benefits, but you can get them dif- in different ways as well, right? Mm. And then I recently had this conversation where, so now if we dissect esports, you know, you look at esports, then there's mobile game, like mo- take mobile games, mobile esports, that, you know, you have the same discussion. It's like, ah, it's not really esports. And it's like, oh, yeah, no, it is. Or like console games, oh, it's not esports per se. You know, it's like keyboard and mouse. You have these mm. discussions. And then, you know, you have, you have all of this, oh, sports simulation games. Are they esports or not? Like, and it, it really depends on your, it depends on your angle and on your kind of height, right? How, where are you right now? You're sitting in a helicopter looking mm-hmm. down at this and then you're going, you're going deeper and deeper. I think you have the same conversations over and over. And I, I came to the conclusion, I tell you this, I don't care. <laughs> to me, to me, it is, no, to me, it's like esports is an entertainment product. You know, esports is the, the super highly competitive, organized, structured part of gaming you know, mm-hmm. gaming is entertainment too. Like you look at you look at where this all sits. Like honestly, as long as people build good products and as long as it's entertaining, like I don't I don't care if you know FIFA is esports or not. If they have a good product, if enough people play it, if enough people are interested, who cares? You know, why do we why do we need to put stamps on everything, right? And then it's like we play FIFA now. Or like we play Warzone. Like, you know, we hang up, we go and play Warzone. Is that esports? Is that competitive gaming? Are we casual are we casual gamers? Like, you know, mm. what do we fall into? And it's probably not esports in the, you know, typical definition of esports. But then, like, I, I don't think we have to define everything because you look at, and you look at grassroots, mm. you know, that's where all the people are. Look at the pyramid. You know, most people are casual gamers, competitive gamers. You know, there's only like this small tip of the pyramid that are the actual pros. You know, that's where you have this, you know, zero to hero story, which everyone loves, which is great. But then it's mm. like, is Ninja an esports athlete or is he an entertainer? I, who cares? You know, people, if people like his content, just enjoy the content. You know, if he makes yeah. money with that, if he helps, if he helps break it into mainstream the way he did it, like, let's just, let's just live with it. But then you have, you have these kind of graphics that say, oh, you know, esports is bigger than this or that. And then it's like, oh, he's not an esports athlete. And then you have a massive discussion that actually, you know, completely changes the topic. And I understand that, you know, hey, I know something, I know something, I want to spread it. Like, I get all mm-hmm. that. And I'm making a lot of fun about like the term e-football and e-everything, right? Because it's like, I feel we don't need that. But then just go with e-sports or competitive gaming or go with pro gaming. Like I still love pro gaming as a term because Mm. it's exactly what it is. It's people that, you know, play games professionally. Mm. Um, But yeah, I'm I'm kind of, long story really short, I'm I'm kind of trying to not um, define stuff too much anymore. I look at, you know, I look at products. I look at it from a product perspective. Is it entertaining? Mm. You know, is it... Is it reaching the audience? Is it kind of, well, influential or popular? I really like that. I didn't think about it before. Um, mm. So that's how I look at stuff, right? And I really feel like, hey, let's, let's just all be happy. And if mobile gaming becomes, you know, big, who cares if we 
think it's esports or not. Like, and who are you to say it is or it isn't? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, really, yeah, really true. I like to use that ninja example because I've tried to use that in my content a bit previously as well. It's, you know, I, I think I feel like it's important. Like, I literally did a podcast before this with a group in the Isle of Man um, who, you know, doesn't have any real esports knowledge or, or listeners that have esports knowledge. And I find it's important to explain to them the difference between gaming and esports, like between a leisure activity and sports, like mm-hmm. kicking a football with your mates versus playing in a Wednesday night casual league. You know, that's the difference between playing Candy Crush or Fortnite on an iPad versus, you know, playing CSGO face it um, to try to win, you know, $10 <laughs> prize pool or yep. nothing. Um, but, yeah, I find that, you know, esports is, is quite often that buzzword that comes through. And most brands will come to us and say, Chris, we want to get into esports. Granted, that is in our company name. Um, but I'll say, look, no, you don't. You want to get into gaming. And then beyond that, you want to get into Gen Z and influencers. And gaming is just the language that they speak. And, you know, talking to some people who are, you know, TikTok stars or Gen Zs, you know, I'm I'm like firmly millennials, like I'm 28. So talking to 18-year-olds, you know, they don't necessarily classify themselves as a gamer because it's just expected. The same way that in Australia, you don't classify yourself as a car driver, even though the majority of the population of driving age can drive because we've got crappy public transport a lot of the time in, in rural areas. But they just expect that you've played a bit of Fortnite on the PS4. Yep. They expect that you grew up playing Minecraft on the iPad, that you know who Ninja is, that you know who Dr. Disrespect is and things like that too. It's just part of their general culture. So it doesn't need, like you said, it doesn't need those labels and you don't need the 10-hour arguments on social media about is Ninja an esports athlete or not. Well, hey, Ninja's won tournaments. He's won Fortnite tournaments. Yeah. He's won Apex Legends tournaments. And, and, He's won and, real yeah, and even and even before that, you know, he, like he played professionally. But it, like, yeah. I'm, you know, I just feel like who cares? And if you look at gamers, like, are you a gamer? Mm-hmm. There's this negative connotation, so people don't want to be gamers. But then you ask them, like, so you have any mobile games on your phone? Oh yeah, I played this. I played that. And, then, oh, and you're not a gamer, right? Yeah. So it's <laughs> it's it's always a question of how you how you define stuff. And I really feel like um, so I have two slides in my deck that I always use. And that goes back to this whole esports bigger than the NBA. And let's not talk about this. You know, it's bullshit. But if you if you take this, right, why do people always, like esports is a bucket term, but why do we always compare a global industry to individual disciplines and leagues in a specific country, right? We do that because the yeah. numbers kind, kind of add up and are kind of comparable. But that's unfair, you know, because if, I mean, news with the updated projections, I think they're below 1 billion of esports revenue now for this year. If you look at how they do this, it's important to look at the methodology, what's in there. Like before people argue about the numbers, read the methodology and then let's have a talk. But let's just say it's 1 billion. Like that's nothing. But mm. if, you comp- if you compare that now to like, if you now go deeper and that's what you said, right? It's like, if you now go deeper into, okay, but we're looking at Counter-Strike and we're looking at Counter-Strike in Germany. That is such a fraction of the of the industry, right? Mm. If you compare that to the NBA, it does not compare at all, right? Mm. And then obviously it's like, oh shit, it looks bad. So let's go with the biggest number we can throw out. And then it's like esports is bigger than this or that. Whereas, mm. you know, the fair comparison would be compare compare the LEC to the NBA or the LCS. That's fair. You know, that's one mm. league, one league in one country, in one kind of sport. You know, that's apples to apples, but people don't do that because the numbers are not big enough yet. And I think what Mm -hmm. we need to get over is it's okay that, you know, that is okay because it's still big enough of a market. It's still kind of a blue ocean for brands. We can still do stuff. You can help grow it. You can, you can snatch investments. You know, you can, you can reach an audience like gaming and esports offer all of this. 
and I mean, gaming is what 160 billion or so. So it like this massive, mm. this massive bigger portion. But then yeah. let's stick with kind of what esports is. You know, just be real and manage expectations because often, and that's often with agencies as well, where they're like, "Yeah, we're gonna do this stream for you." And the expectation is you're gonna hit like 100k viewers, which is probably not gonna happen, right? And mm. then they're like, "Oh shit, why didn't this happen?" And if you're just honest and real, like you could have known, right? And you should have told the brand. So I feel it's a lot about. It's a lot about let's be real. Let's take it for what it is right now and look at the growth rates. You know, that's what I'm looking at because it's growing at an insane pace. Mm. It's a it's a it's a crazily growing industry. Let's live with that, you know, and let's help brands understand that. Where is it growing? Why is it growing? You know, what else can you do to accelerate growth further instead of just pretending it's the biggest thing right now? Because right now mm. it still isn't. And I, again, I think that's okay. Mm. No, I agree. End, end, no, of, end of rent. Sorry. That's like, <laughs> I, I always that's right. I always have that. I enjoy listening to it. And I think, um, you know, I, I've been trying to make some comparisons for a while. I've been cooking something behind the scenes and I love to make it public here, but also ask ask for some of your advice on this. So I've been talking to Bobby from Stream Hatchet um, yep. and also been talking to, uh, I don't know if he wants to be named, but he's worked a lot in the Australian Football League here in Australia, which is a massive league. You know, the semifinals and grand finals of the AFL will sell 100,000 seats at the MCG. You know, there are plenty of players on million-dollar-plus contracts, and I think the entry is about 80K to a junior player. So he's like 17 years old, and they don't even get time on the field. They'll get 80K a year. So, you know, it's, it's got some significant interest, and it dominates here in Australia, absolutely dominates. The the AFL is a business. They just bought a stadium. They bought Etihad Stadium. Now it's called Marvel Stadium, so they're quite significant. So I've been trying to work with these guys on what I really want to do is I want to compare LaserBeam the eighth most watched YouTube creator in 2019, big Fortnite creator, lives in Australia, 270 million video views a month on YouTube plus TikTok, Instagram, et cetera. I want to compare him to an entire media organization and I also want to make a comparison to a traditional sports team and a traditional sport at the same time to try to, I guess like my dad used to do this with songs, normalize songs where you make all of the songs a similar volume level. So some aren't loud, some aren't quiet. I want to I want to try to work on some things like that. And I'm trying to find these metrics across all of them. And it seems like it's potentially average minute audience versus cost, you know, versus CPM or something like that yep. to get those in. And I want to be able to sit down with an agency or a brand, no matter how big or small, and be like, okay, per eyeball, if you're going to AFL, you're going to get a 35-year-old and you're going to pay three cents. If you go to laser beam, you're going to get an 18 year old. You're going to pay X amount of cents if you go to a thing, but then also looking at the sizes, because I want to be able to say that laser beam is bigger than love Island in Australia by himself with no overheads. He's got Mm. one, you know, he doesn't even have a full-time manager. His computer's most likely sponsored. He streams out of an office or, you know, using an example of another, uh, another influencer, YouTuber who I work with, who's 22. I literally taught him how to run an invoice two weeks ago and he's going to make 500 grand this year. He lives at home and looks after his brother, lives with his dad. You know, I want to be able to take some of these case studies so people, I think, will take them a bit more seriously. And, you know, one of my good friends who owns an esports team and works with them, I think he's seen this firsthand. And I want to help people open up their eyes like I had my eyes opened up where it's gone, crap, I used to struggle and push so much to get a 60, 100K esports sponsorship and FaZe just sold a million dollars worth of champion hoodies in, in an hour. And this guy who's 22, turned 22 two weeks ago, doesn't even know how to write an invoice. He's going to make $500,000 this year and he's got a free $6,000 computer. I know because I did, I gave him that PC through a campaign. So, how can we as esports people take more knowledge from that? And how can we push that across? Because not only is he earning more than almost every esports team in Australian revenue, he also has like a 99% profit margin. 
because he only recently got a manager. All of those deals that 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 runway was from himself. He manages his own email. He shoots his own Minecraft videos. He edits his own Minecraft videos. His PC is free, and he lives at home with his parents. So he's got zero living costs essentially. But you know, out of that five hundred k pre tax, you know, he's twenty <laughs> maybe for him to be alive, and that's and that's about it. Yeah. So the question, anyway, once again, back to the actual question is just trying to figure out like what, what kind of metrics or, or what comparisons should I make to help normalize some things? And is that even possible to be able to compare uh, an influencer man, I think, to a media organization? I, I think the, I think the question is, you know, why are we talking right now and why are we not making this, you know, what, what did we <laughs> do wrong? But no, seriously, I think, I think what you said makes sense. So when you lo- normalization, I feel makes a lot of sense because that's, that's how you translate you know, kind of what you know in esports to other people. And that's what, you know, all these like sports five, you know, you look at even Nielsen does it like people, people try to translate esports into a language that everyone else understands. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, you can argue there if all of that makes sense or not. But I think if what you just said, right, if you look at, you look at audience, you look at an audience, you look at CPM values, that's a really good start because that's something that everyone will understand. And if you tell someone, look, here's what you get, you know, you get this demographic, here's the, uh, the AMA, you know, um, for like an average stream, for example, and here's what the CPM would be. Like if you get all that data, I think that is something that's comparable because then you can say, oh shit, you know, that's what we're paying right now for like a 40 year old. And like we, we basically want to get more 20 years or you know, 18 years old. Right. So I think mm. that that could be a really good start. Um, so I think that, I think that that is something I would love to see. Like I really would, you know, also love to see that kind of stuff. The challenge always is that there's a lot of, well, there's not enough transparency. And, you know, I recently followed the Twitter conversation about this as well, where it's about, should we have more transparency in esports? Like, should people know what players are earning? You know, should people know mm-hmm. what teams are making? And I feel that, you know, I, I know everyone's talking to each other. Like, everyone's talking to each other anyway. I'm pretty sure the teams know exactly what other teams make, right? Mm-hmm. So, and that's something mm-hmm. that I feel is required because, you know, then... You have you get a different sense for okay how do you price your stuff how do you do your things okay what are you earning and even if it's ranges not exact numbers I think that can help um, but I feel I, I sometimes feel like it would help the industry if there was more transparency in these kind of data points like okay here's what the average player is earning right now right mm-hmm. and because if if you also can communicate your cost structure it's probably easier for a brand to just weigh in and say, okay, you know what, it's worth it or not, or, oh, this is what we would have to pay in order to make this viable. It's worth it. You know, and then you go back, like, can we do this? What's our return? So mm-hmm. I feel to start off, if, if, you know, long, again, long story, but I feel to just, um, short answer, if, if you can do, if you can look at audience, like if you get all the demographics data for the audience, if you can do that, and if you can tie that back to a CPM, I think that's, I think that's interesting because that's mm-hmm. something and may, like, let's see what comes out of that, you know? Let, mm. Let's see what let's see what the outcome is. And I think, yeah, I like that thing you said about sharing the numbers. I think that's really important because I've I've been in their lucky position now that I can see those numbers. And you're right, they must know because I've seen decks from lots of teams who have, um, you know, projected earnings of their competitors, which are exactly right. <laughs> and I know yeah. that because I've seen that other team's deck as well and I've seen their finances yeah. and, and things like that. So they, they definitely are talking and, you know, a lot of the influencers talk and things like that too but it helps so much and some of the really insightful things for me just as a nerd is is seeing how much people in the beauty industry charge when i was contacting some of them on behalf of ea wanting to do a sims and a fifa campaign seeing how much mma fighters will charge and and understanding how much different um esports and gaming 
you know, people will charge as well. And it's really interesting seeing not only that, but how their managers act as well. There's some really interesting people. Like uh, I was talking to a MMA manager today because we're trying to put together something around UFC 4, maybe with some Aussie fighters, who knows about um, I had an MMA fighter once tell me that their, sorry, an MMA manager once tell me that their fighter was a household name. (laughs) <laughs> and things like that too. And I see so many similarities between MMA and esports because it's the niche, but it's everything to them. It's their whole mm-hmm. life. And their fans are hardcore fans, but it's because there's no casual fans. But to them, they are the king. As we say in Australia, they are king shit in their, you know, they are the shit. They are the king in their yeah. audience, but still understanding that it's limited. And like, and I, I like that thing you said before as well that I use a bit, which is esports globally is smaller than gaming in Australia. Like gaming in Australia is a 3.5 billion AUD business and esports globally is a $1.1 billion business. So A, if you're looking to make a unicorn, which is a billion dollars company, it's a bit hard when the whole industry is worth 1.1. Not even ESL owns 90% and they never did, even though they're they're huge and have been for a long time. And, you know, if you're looking at traditional gaming or influencers, there are so many kids out there who are earning 500K to 1 million a year you've never heard of. I feel like every day I discover 10 new YouTube YouTubers who have a hundred thousand subscribers every day. Yeah. I've never heard of. You know, discovering all these people with five hundred thousand Twitter followers. I've never heard of. And it's like that in music. It's like that in sports. It's like that in everything. But yeah, I think it's just finding a way to normalize some of these numbers and like make sense of them. And it's it's so hard. Like I've tried before some arbitrary um, combinations of comparing Laser Beam to um, you know like Love Island or The Bachelor in Australia. But I'm tr- trying to find almost like a completely defensible series of numbers and i think maybe it's it's a cpm based off the ama and it's also relative market size based on global and also breaking down per country i think i think that's yeah. how we can do it it's it's really it's really funny you say all of that i think i mean there's there's a couple of people trying to solve these kind of problems so you know if you i mean even if you look at all the the big names like you should probably if you're not working with them already you should just get in touch and see you know if there's something you can do together because mm. i feel i feel there's a lot to this yeah I love the numbers, man. <laughs> Too much. Uh, Too much. Right? It's, it's, a, it's about, now it's about a, it's about a realistic comparison that is, as you said it, right? You want to defend it. It needs to be defendable. So yeah. that's, that, and that's the trick. And then again, look, do like whatever you do. And we've, we've worked a lot with data. We used to work a lot with data, like whatever you do, either people don't read it, you know, you give a definition, they don't read it. So yeah. then yeah. You, know, you have, you have stuff like, um, you have things like, um, you put something out, either they don't want to understand it or they just hate it because it's not what they want to see. So they're going to, yeah. they're going to trash talk it anyway. And it happens all the time. And that's where, like, while I'm not a massive fan of, you know, defining stuff, if you look at, so you just mentioned, um, so you just mentioned again, esports, right? Let's say 1.1, 1 billion, whatever the industry size now is projected. Let's go with that. And you want to build mm-hmm. a unicorn. So where do you, how do you define then what esports is? Because if you look at a company like EA, and I had this discussion with Ralph recently on a PwC talk where, mm-hmm. you know, there's this, this notion of esports now becoming its own industry. It's not a marketing and retention tool for publishers anymore. And he said, mm-hmm. no, it still is, right? Because look, and you look at EA, what they posted $3 billion in profit. Um, is that esports? Mm-hmm. Because if you look at this, like, I think, what was it? The 28% of that is through um, Ultimate, Ultimate Team, right? FIFA. Mm-hmm. So... Is that esports? Probably not, because like you know, if I buy cards, I don't have to be an esports athlete. But esports athletes buy a lot of cards too, so mm. I don't think that any of these revenues is going into the esports projections, right? So that's mm. why I said it's like it's super important to understand what's in the definitions 
And you know, there there's a lot of money you can make, and there's it's it's a lot of revenues you can generate. It's just a matter of do you understand the space you're in, or do you understand what you're talking about? And mm. dude, every I'm not sure what what your world looks like, but every pitch deck we get, I don't even know why I get pitch decks because we're we're not investing, right? We're like a news outlet, but I get a lot yeah. of pitch decks, and every pitch deck second slide news or numbers. <laughs> Yeah, And, you know, I'm like, okay, I understand you do this because it's a free graph. Like, I get it. You know, it looks good, makes everything look good. But can you explain the numbers? Like, if yeah. I ask you what's, what's in this, like, that's it. And, you know, if, I, if, I, if you would ask me for money, like, and, you know, if, if I had the capacity to invest and do all that stuff, like, that would be my first question. Like, can you explain the numbers? And if you can't explain the numbers, like, I don't want to talk to you because then you're using stuff that you don't understand. But to mm -hmm. justify a case... Right. And your whole case is built on a foundation you don't understand. Um, but again, that's like I'm I'm drifting off again. But that's just some stuff that's a consistent pattern I see. And I really feel like, you know, we should we should get over this. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I, the other thing I see a lot in these decks is um creative accounting in the fact that they're just going to suddenly double their revenues in Q4 or next year. And usually you ask them how and they say, I'm gonna land a lot of sponsors. And you go, Okay, good luck. Because no one else has, <laughs> why? Why are you going to get twenty sponsors when Phase Clan doesn't have twenty sponsors? <laughs> and and they've it's, got thirty it's, million fans across their channel. And man, it's clear that it's clear that you have a lot of these creativity in these decks. Like I get that, but then it comes down to what you just said before, right? It's like, is it a defendable deck? Is it a defendable idea? And do you believe that even if they don't sign twenty sponsors, do you believe they can sign five? And you know, yeah. like two really big ones, and then they don't double their revenues, but they, I don't know. You know, yeah, it's one one point two or something like that. That's what it comes down to, right? What do you believe in the idea? Is it worth it? Is it is there a need? Like, what are the opportunities? And then also, what are the opportunities outside of esports per se or gaming? Like, you can scale so many products. Like, there's so much tech innovation in gaming. Like, mm. you can scale this into other industries at one point, right? So, I think yeah. there's a lot of opportunity. Um, I just feel like it's it's just understanding what you're talking about. And it, it, you know, rather take a bit more time. And this is, this perfectly, you know, comes full circle with understand and know what you need. And then if you know, you know, if you know what you want to do, if you know, if you're clear on your vision, if you're clear on what you want from others, how you can help them, then start reaching out to people, tell them about it. And the worst thing that is what I see a lot right now is everyone talking about what they're going to do. Like, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. Like, can you just do it? And then let's talk about it. Right. So let's let's do it first, like build a foundation, build a prototype, do something, and let's then talk about it. Rather than, you know, talk about on Twitter all day about what you're going to do in a year mm. or in the next month. Because like half of the stuff you won't do anyway. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's really true. So I guess you know, kind of wrapping up this conversation for now, but we're definitely gonna book in some more. I think topic topic <laughs> I gotta take uh, like one of these eight topics and maybe Screw up. Maybe we'll do eight podcasts. One, make it, one make it a series. We got we got to do an eight podcast series, and we're going to do yeah. deep dives. I think we do. But the the last thing I want to get from you is um, a double headed question. You can decide either. So number one Ooh. is so it's either or. So either what are people focusing on too much in esports right now that they shouldn't be, or what is something that people are not focusing on enough that they should be in esports as a whole? Hey, oh, it's a very very general question. Like I can I can just tell you that from a lot of startups we're talking to. Um, I think people focus too much on how they can sell it. And I'm talking about how they can get acquired, right? Or how they can sell the company. I think there's a lot of startups right now that are built just based on the purpose that I'm going to do this and I'm going to sell this to X. And it's not, about, it's not about the building process. It's not about the experience. It's not about 
solving the actual problem. It's a lot about there might be a niche, I'm going to build this and I'm going to sell it. And I feel that, that that's the wrong approach. So I think, you know, people should focus less on how quickly they can sell something and should focus more on, is there an actual problem? Like what problem can I solve? And you find that out by speaking to people. And typically, you know, again, if you're focused, if you know what you want, if I would reach out to you and say, look, I'm, I'm having this idea, I want to build this and this and this, like, can you help me understand if that's defendable or not? Like, can you ask me questions that tear it apart, right? Then you probably would. And I'm not asking for a call even, right? I'm just give, asking you for feedback. You give me five lines back and I can work with that already, right? Mm-hmm. So I think and people are people are open to answer questions. Like I think, so I got my first job offer because I reached out to people directly and said, here's what I did. Here's what I want to do. Here's how I think it fits. Like, you know, can we work together? And then mm-hmm. I at least got an interview. So, you know, that that I feel is like, I think this is this is how more people should work. Um, but again, and this goes back to understanding what you want to do. Um, but then also doing it for the right reasons where that's, of course, it's flexible. You know, if it's a VC case, yeah, of course, you're going to build something to sell it. Um, mm. And that's fine. But then you still got to solve a problem properly. Right. So don't don't focus on the end state too much. Keep it in mind, but like build something robust. Mm. No, that definitely makes sense to me. I think my my answer to that question would be um, too many people are focused on their millionth fan and not their first 50. Um, and I think that people should look at influencers. And I, I saw, like, I had this realization, or the, the guy that was interviewing me in the last podcast had exactly this realization. And I said to him, Look, by definition of being an influencer, you have fans. You know, n- anyone, well, not anyone, but so many people can raise a lot of money, create a business, and then try to buy fans. But by being an influencer and by, by the definition of that, you actually have to have fans. And there's a really good book called This Is Marketing by Seth Godin, who's a, you know, marketing. Yeah himself really enjoyed that and he said exactly the same thing people have and i and i went that's esports the second i heard that because people are so focused on how many lamborghinis they're going to buy how many thousands of people are going to be at their meetup and all this kind of stuff but they're not thinking like phase was in 2010 which is how can i just make a cool trick shot video and then when they start to get 10 comments 20 comments 50 100 1000 5000 comments per video then they go okay how can i get 1000 of those 5000 people into a room and pay me 10 dollars for the for the opportunity to be there yeah. and then boom you made 100 grand you made more revenue than 99% of esports teams to ever have existed <laughs> just off and that I'm gonna, I'm going to leave it so here's the thing i'm going to leave it with a thought and that's something that i i recently saw it's done by a german youtuber hand of blood who said it at a, at a speech at some okay. kind of award and what he said is like in a nutshell right there's so much content out there. Let's just say it's shit content. Like however you want to call this, like where from influencers that say, look, you know, we're going to do this because we're targeted to our audiences. Right. And then they do stuff that is, I don't know, morally flexible, or that's not probably what it should be. If you're really an influencer, can't you change the conversation to do good? Right. Mm-hmm. If you're, if you're really like, why do you have to do crappy stuff to please an audience? If you're the influencer who can influence the audience. So are all these influencers actually influencers? Mm. there you go that's good man so yeah, that's if, if people if people want to follow you online or, or your business where can they do so where's the best place twitter bestest bestest twitter um the business esportobserver.com um and then twitter as well i'm trying to be more vocal on linkedin but i'm I'm kind of on and off depending on how much time i have like but if you want to if you want to reach me if you want to talk it's linkedin um if you just want a quick opinion or you know quickly engage in in a in a like brief exchange or so it's twitter yeah fantastic all right man thanks so much for coming on we've got plenty more of this to do thanks for having me man it was fun thank you yeah
Yeah, no worries. So thanks, thanks, Chris, and thanks to everyone who's watching live now on LinkedIn or listening back to the audio-only podcast. We've got new podcasts coming out every single week, and we've got plenty more guests lined up. So enjoy. We'll see you guys soon. See you later. Bye. Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links, and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at bigesports underscore gg. 